Well, welcome, every Grace, everybody. Good to see you guys this weekend. Welcome, everybody, at the Montrose Building and everyone on the internet. Thanks for being a part of uh, what's going on here. It's great to be together and excited to continue to dive into the series that we started last weekend uh, called Finding Our Way Back to God. I told you last week, and I just want to remind you about a great book that would be a good companion as we go through this series, because uh, I got some great ideas from it as I was doing my homework for this. It's, uh, it's written by John and Dave Ferguson, and it's called Finding Your Way Back to God. And uh, you could get it and read kind of along with it. I'm not teaching you the book, but it would still give some uh, good ideas and some great insight, and I highly recommend it. And so I encourage you to, to look at that. Uh, this whole concept of finding our way back to God is, is built around this idea that there's a place that we were created to be. And it's a place that I'm just calling home, that God created us as human beings uh, in his likeness. He created us to long for him and to search for him and to satisfy our souls and look for the answers to spiritual questions. And he created us to live close to him, to know Christ, uh, to know God, to relate to him, to journey through life with him. And when we're in that place, when we're close to Christ, when we're diving into his word, when we're with his people, when we're living the life that he's called us to live, we feel like we're home. Life makes sense in that place. Uh, all the pieces add up in that place and our souls are satisfied. We feel like we're living and doing and being what we're created to live and to do and to be. The Bible tells us that that's what we were created for and that we all wander away from it. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6, we all, every one of us, like sheep, go astray, each of us to his own way. The word astray, another way that we would say that or the way that we might say it today is that we all wander off. We all wander from this place we were created to be into something else, and all of us do it. We do it in different ways. We do it to differing degrees. We do it for different time spans, but we all do it. We wander from what we know or hope will satisfy our soul, and we'll wander off into our idea, our opinion, our way of life, and when we wander there, uh, we are always going to wind up at a place where whether we've hit it big and we're succeeding on every level or whether life is tanked out, there's the valley of the shadow of death or a relationship broke or whatever, we're going to be missing that interaction with God. I'm going to hit it big, but I'm going to feel empty because I'm not home even with all my success. I'm going to be desperate when life crashes in because I'm not home and there's no one else to turn to in those moments because if I, regardless of my circumstances, if I'm outside of that place that God created me to be, my soul cannot be satisfied, my life cannot be complete. So we started talking about that last weekend, and we said what happens is this. Some of us kind of raise a fist to God and say, I don't believe you or want you or care about you, and we storm out of the house. Most of us wander off, and we develop what the authors of the book call spiritual amnesia. I like that term a lot. We have spiritual amnesia. I just kind of, I know that I knew something, but I can't remember what I forgot. 
Like there's something, there's something missing in my life, but I'm just going to do this. I can't remember what it was. I, I used to feel a certain way. I'm not really quite sure how to recapture that feeling, so I'm just going to go do this thing. I know that I knew, but I can't remember what I forgot. I have a spiritual amnesia until somebody or somehow the answer is placed in front of me again, and it reminds me that, oh, I'm missing Christ. I'm missing God in my life. That's what I've been longing for. So for some of us, that happens at Christmas time. We show up at church or something else happens with Christmas, and we're like, you know what? That's right. I miss this. I need this. Life felt good when that was in front of me. For some of us, we do something or return to something, and that answer is in front of us again, and we remember that we really need and enjoy and long to be in the presence of God, and it's been a long time since I've done that, and what I need to do is I need to find my way back to God. I need to find my path home. And then last weekend, we said, when we do that, if we decide to go home, what's God going to be like? Is he honked off? Is he waiting to hit you with a lightning bolt? Is he going to transfer you to Michigan or something horrible like that? What's going to happen? What is his heart and his mind toward his kids, toward the people that have wandered off? And we started looking at the words of Jesus in the Luke in Luke 15. So let's go there. If you got your Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's somewhere in the chairs. It's page 848 in those Bibles. And if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible and you would like to have one, uh, just please take one of those with you and keep it. And then all this is on the app too. So we started looking and saying, if I came home, what would the Father, the Heavenly Father, be like? What would God be like if I went home after I wandered off? Jesus is having this conversation in Luke chapter 15. The context is that he is surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. And we said, we're all sinners. So people like us are surrounding him. There's also Pharisees and teachers of the law there. Those were people who would have said, you have to pay a penance. You have to pay a punishment. There, there's some big consequence because you wandered off. We said, well, what does Jesus say? What does he describe about people who come home Verse 2, chapter 15, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus then tells them a parable. He gives them an analogy. In fact, he's going to give them two of them. He says, guys, think of it this way. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 and, and go to the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Here it is, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. He says, let me give you another example. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors and, and together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence.
presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus says, listen to me. Don't listen to the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, your own opinion or what you thought was going to happen. Listen to me. When a sinner repents, the word repent means to turn around. When I turn from my wandering, I turn from my rebellion and I go home, what I'm going to encounter is a merciful God who freely pardons and rejoices that I've been found. And so we said, what if we decided to come home? What if we found our way back to God? What, what if we decided that I've done enough wandering and I want, I need to have my soul fulfilled. I need to be in the place that God created me to be. I need to go home. That we would be welcomed by God, we're loved by God, he's eager and ready to forgive us and to welcome us home, and that's where he wants us to be. Now what I want to do, and what we decided to do here for the next couple of weeks, is Jesus goes, after he gives these two illustrations of the lost sheep and the lost coin, he then he gives another one, and this is a big one, and we, we want to look at this one for a few weeks, because in this one, he, tell, he teaches us why we wander and then how to get home and what to do to, to find our way back to God. So in this third illustration that he lays out for us, he talks about a son. We often in the Bible, we call him the prodigal son a lot. He, we have a son who is living at home and kind of takes home for granted. He wanders off. He finds himself in a desperate place. He decides to go home, and we find a father who's waiting and willing to receive him. So the story of the prodigal son is about the son, the father, and the, and the, the, the son's brother. And these three people help us to understand how God thinks, how we think, and how we can find our way back to God if we've wandered off from him, okay? So I want to introduce you this weekend to the prodigal son. So right there in Matthew chapter 15, right after the, the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep, this is the parable of the lost son. Verse 11, Jesus continued. So this is all one conversation. And he gives his third illustration. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I want to take a few minutes and introduce you to this prodigal son, because when we start to understand the prodigal son, I think we'll start to understand kind of why we are prone to wander and wander away from the place that we went home. Jesus teaches us a little bit about who the son is and what his life was like. You can see there, there was a man that had two sons, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so that tells us some things about the prodigal son. If we jump back into the culture a little bit, we would look and say, this 
son and his brother were living with his dad and they were in a place of blessing and protection. The fact that the son asked his father for his share of the estate meant that his dad had money. He had enough money that the son looked and said, you know what, one day when dad dies, this money's going to be mine because it's the way the ancient world worked. When the father died, the money went to his sons, not to his wife. And then the sons would take care of their mother. So this son was raised in enough blessing and wealth and protection that he knew that if one day I'm going to have my father's wealth. He was not running away from home. He was not in a dangerous place. Later on, we'll see the heart of the father. He was there with a loving dad. So he wasn't in this abusive situation or a, a, a place that was ruled by addictions. He was in a safe place, a protected place, a place of blessing with a loving father. He wanted to go somewhere. He wanted to wander away from the father, not escape an unhealthy situation. Now you start looking at this and one of the things you realize about the son is because he was in a healthy scenario and in a healthy home, when he goes and asks his father for the, mother, uh, for the money, it gives you a clue to the son's character. The son went to his dad and in essence said, Dad, I know that you are providing a home for me. I know that this home is safe. I know that you're blessing me. I know that you have opportunities for me. I know that you love me. I know that you care for me, but I want to go do what I want to go do. I want to go live the life that I want to live. And I, I am taking for granted all that you have already blessed for me. In fact, I'm going to do that in a, in a very self-centered, hyper-independent, painful way. Look at the scripture, verse 12. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. When the younger son said that to the father, what he said in essence was, Dad, I just wish you were dead. I just wish you were dead. I just want your money. I, I, you've invested in me, you love me, you protect me, you've given to me. I don't care. Just cash me out. I don't feel like waiting till you're dead. If you could speed it up. I have things that I want to do. I have places that I want to go. And I don't, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me the relationship that we have, how healthy it is or how good it is. I want to go somewhere else. The father goes and he does what his son asks him to do and gives him his share of the money. In verse 13, the scripture says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The son looked at his father and said, I, I, don't, I don't care if you're dead, just give me what I have. I want to go somewhere else. I think that something else is better than what I have here. There's another place for me to be. I want to go to a far off, distant country. This home is safe, but how do I know it's not restrictive? I want to go somewhere else. You're blessing me and I have a happy life, but how do I know there's not a happier life? I want to go somewhere else. 
This home, this is a loving father. This home is marked by integrity and purity and safety. But how do I know that integrity and purity and safety is really the best way to live? I want to go do what I want to go do. I want to go to the far off distant country and I want to be free from what I perceive to be restrictive or limited or simple because there's probably something other that I want to be a part of. Now, right here, when you look at what the prodigal son is doing, you can start to see what tempts us to wander off. When we look at who God is and what God has done, and we start to take his blessings and his protection and his direction for granted. I don't, I don't trust anymore that you're really blessing me. I want my best life now, my best life, not the best life you have for me, the one that I want for me. Just make it happen, God. I don't trust that, that you're, the truth that I was raised in, dad, you, and if mom was there, you have created a home, you're loving, you're supportive. I don't trust that, that this, this little quaint thing is, there's another life, I want that other life, so just finance it for me, make it happen for me, dad. And he looked and said, I, I know what home is like, but the other is calling me. The other relationship, the other lifestyle, the other truth, the other opinion. I want to go to the far off distant country and I want to experience those other things. And you start to see the seeds of what would tempt us to wander. I don't know if I trust the heart and trust the mind of the father, I just want the resources of the Father so that I can go trust my own heart and my own mind. I'll lean into my own understanding. And I'll go see what is out there in that distant land I want to explore it. Now here's what happens. When he goes to the distant land, the Bible says that he did exactly what he wanted to do. Not long after, he set off for the distant country, and he lived how he wanted to live. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. Wild living in the Old Testament is remarkable, or in the, in the Bible, is remarkably like wild living today. Pretty much all the same things fit in the categories, right? So he went and he did whatever he wanted to do. Verse 14 after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Guys, this is, this is a huge thing. You got to catch this. When you leave home and go to the distant country, you will always wind up in need. Always. You might wind up in need quickly. It might take you years to wind up in need, but sooner or later, the money's going to run out. And you're going to wind up in need. Your soul, the thing you were looking for outside of being at home in Christ, cannot be found. And you can numb that pain and you can numb that need for a long, long time. But sooner or later, 
You're going to run out of resources. You're going to be outside of your ability to make your life happen the way that you thought you wanted it to happen. And you're going to wind up in a place of need. You're going to be in need of peace that you can only get at home. Because you can go to the distant country and you can do whatever you want to do there. You can, it, it, wild living, you can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. And you can do that for as many years as you want. And you're going to wind up, no matter what, you're going to wind up hurt and scarred and feeling used. You're going to wind up in need. You, you're going you're gonna, to, you can burn through any relationship you want to be burned through. I don't care who you are. I'm, I'm, I'm step because I'm going to, I'm wild living. I'm going to make a gazillion dollars. I'm going to step on whoever I need to step on to get it. You can burn through as many relationships as you want to. And sooner or later, you're going to wind up all alone. You're going to wind up in a place of need. Sooner or later, your ability to purchase relationships is going to run out because all of my friends love me because they use me and I use them in one form or another. So now suddenly I did what I wanted to do. I left home. I didn't even consider the heart and the mind of the father. But now I, I can't throw the football anymore. Where did all my groupies go? I lost. I'm not climbing the corporate ladder anymore. Where did all the people that invited me to parties go? I don't have the resources to, to finance the wild weekends. Where did all my friends, now all my friends are addicts. We're all kind of out of gas with it. I don't have the ability to put out for people anymore. The money has run out. And all of a sudden, all these relationships that I didn't develop or bring about, I just purchased, they're all gone. And I'm going to find myself in need. I, I thought I wanted to go do what I wanted to go do, and man, I did. I hit the jackpot. I made it huge, but I'm all by myself, and I feel like my life has no eternal value. What do I even do with the wealth that I've accumulated? Whenever we go to the distant country, we will always wind up in a place where we're empty, if we go to that distant country and Christ isn't journeying with us, if he's not the focal point of it, it doesn't matter if we're at the pit of life or on the summit of life. If, if we're not in the relationship with God that we were created to be in, if we go there all by ourselves, God just bless me and make it happen, we are going to wind up in a place of desperate need all alone. And this is exactly what happened to the son. He began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out as a citizen of the country. They sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. I'm alone. I'm starving to death and nobody will help me. I'd even eat the pig's food. I'm alone emotionally. Nobody really cares I'm alone financially. Nobody bailed me. I bailed everybody out. They didn't bail me out. I, I, I'm, I'm alone spiritually because I left my father's house and I went all these places and none of it worked out for me. I thought I knew and I thought I wanted and I wanted God to bless my agenda 
and he sent me out the door, and I thought something besides what I have has got to be better. And I'm looking for my life, and I'm looking for my life outside of the life giver, outside of Christ. And it is never going to work out for us. It never has it never will, and I'm in a distant country, and I'm by myself, and there's nobody around. Now, Jesus says something fascinating. He says this in the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, great verse. He says, the thief has come only, that's a big word, only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. We wander away from home because we're looking for our lives. I have something I want to do. I'm going to do it my way. And God, you just bless it. You just make it happen for me. In fact, if you don't make it happen for me, I'm going to be irate about it. I just want my inheritance. Just give it to me. I want to go do what I want to do because I want to find my life. Jesus says, I got you, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I've come to give you life. This is a fascinating thing. When you read that, that verse in, in the English, you, you need to think about it for a second because we would translate our English Bibles from the Greek language. And in the Greek language, there's two different words the Greek language uses for the word life. And one of those translations applies here very, very, in a very, very important way. The two words that the Greek uses for life, the first word is the word bio. It's where we get the word biology, right? So the word bio. And when the Greek uses the word bio, it's talking about a natural life or a chronological life or what we would call a quantity of life. If I said, I have life, uh, you would say, you might say, well, how do you know you have life? I could say, well, I have bio life because I woke up this morning. I woke up, I'm breathing, I'm exhaling, I'm looking good. <laughs> like all these things are happening to me. I have a quantity of life. Between this morning and the present, I have not died. So the quantity of my life continues to, to move forward because I have a biological life. When Jesus says, I've come to give you life, he is not using that word. He's not saying, I've come to give you bio when Jesus says that in the Greek language, he's using the other translation of the word life. The other word for life in the Greek is the word zoe. And the word zoe, it encompasses biological life, but it means the life of the soul, eternal life, life that satisfies. Jesus says, I've come to give you Zoe, I've come to give you life, life to the fullest, a life that satisfies you. I've come to give you life for your soul. Your life is built from the soul up. And if you don't have life in your soul, your bio life isn't what you want it to be. So Jesus says that the thief, the devil, that's who the thief is. The devil comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I've come to give you Zoe to give you life for your soul, a life that satisfies. The great temptation that the prodigal son is dealing with that you and I deal with all the time is to chase bio and forsake Zoe. Dad, I want to do what I want to do. 
make my bio life go the way that I want it to go. I want to satisfy the appetites of my life. I want to eat, drink, and be merry. I want to satisfy the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I want to, in fact, I want that, and I want you to finance it for me. I don't care if you're alive or dead. Just give me your money. I'm going to go do that. And there's no way that that's happening here in this boring, stale, horrible home I've been raised in. It's off in a distant country somewhere. I want bio life, and I want it to the fullest. And when I chase bio life, I will always, every time, without exception, run into a famine. It cannot satisfy my Zoe life. It cannot satisfy me or give me eternal life. I cannot purchase Zoe life with my bio life. And I can chase it. I can have as much that the world has to offer as much bio life as I can possibly have. But what it will ultimately do to me is steal from me. It will kill me. Wild living's the best. You all, you have to wake up in the morning. It will destroy me. I did what I wanted to do for as long as I wanted to do it. You squandered your life. And that life in that different, di distant country, apart from the life giver, will always leave me hungry with the pigs. That's why in our culture, you can hit it big and be miserable. Do you know if you're a North American, just by virtue of the fact that you're a North American, you're in the top 3% wealthiest people groups on planet Earth. 97% of the rest of the world lives a poorer lifestyle than, than you and I do. We're the top 3% wealthiest people in the world. Why are we depressed all the time? We have more bio life than the rest of the planet. You know, do you know if you're a North American teenager and you have a job that you are the wealthiest people group in the history of the planet, of planet Earth? Because you have a high income compared to, to the rest of the global standards and you don't need it to live at all. When you save up for your car, you save up for your Xbox, the kids in Haiti aren't doing that. Why are you stressed out all the time? Why are you depressed? Why do you feel alone? You have as much bio life. You know, as North Americans, we have one of the longest life expectancies on planet Earth and one of the longest life expectancies in the history of the world. We have as much bio life as you can accumulate. Why are we unhappy? Why are we surrounded by relationships? We have thousands of them on our phones. Why do we feel alone all the time? How can I be in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the history of planet Earth and spend most of my time jealous of the 2% that are wealthier than I am? You can have bio life and not have Zoe life and be miserable. You can have it all, but if the life giver is not satisfying your soul, you can go as far into that distant country as you want. 
live wild living as much as you can as you can sustain it. The money's gonna run out. You're gonna be in need. The famine's gonna come. And what we'll long for is our soul to be satisfied. The Zoe life. By the way, you, you that's why other people will look at your life and think it's great and you think it's horrible. Your parents are the best. Oh, they're evil. They're like, I hate my parents. Your wife is such a sweetheart. Well, you don't have to look, live with her. She's a she-devil, right? Your husband's great. <laughs> He's a big, you don't know him that well. That's how, why other people can look at your life and they see what you have as wonderful, but you don't. Because you're, you can have a marriage with no Zoe in it. We've been married forever. You've been roommates forever. Have you pursued each other? Is Christ in the center of it? Your family gets to go on all the best trips. Ooh, we just fight the whole time. Because well, Christ is not the center of it. You pull Zoe out of bio and bio suddenly becomes meaningless. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. By the way, this is how you can be raised in the church and not care about God. How from infancy you were taught the scriptures and how the story of your creator God loving you so deeply that he sent his son through a miracle to be born of a virgin to, to, to bring hope to the world at Christmas. And then that God man lived a perfect life so that we could understand him. He taught, he gave an example, he proved his deity. It's undeniable. And then he laid his life down on the cross. It wasn't taken from him. He laid it down and then he didn't just lay it down by his own power he raised himself from the dead so that you and I could have salvation for our sins and be able to enter Zoe life so I hate church I heard that my whole life that's how that happens because you have a quantity of information but your soul your soul's dead in need, far off, not at the place that God created it to be. See? When I look at the prodigal son, I see me and you. I see us. We're the sinners. And it's like us. It's actually normal for a human being to be prone to wander, to look at what somebody else has or what we don't and think, well, that other thing is going to make me happy. And Jesus would lean in and say, I understand, but I need you to understand. You can go do what you want to do, but you're going to run into a famine and you're going to be in need. If you're chasing the bio life, you can achieve it. People do it all the time. But if you do it apart from Zoe, it will never satisfy your soul. You know the part of the story that is the most fascinating to me? It's that the father gave the kid the money. If my kids came to me and said, Dad, I wish you were dead, give me your money. I'd be in prison. 
Like, one of us would not live through that interaction, right? It fascinates me that the father gave the kid the money. Now, why would he do that? It's not because the father's a pushover. It's not because he's an enabler. I actually believe when you look at that and you see, you ask the question, why did he give the kid the money? He gave the kid the money because he was more interested in the kid's Zoe life than his bio life. Here's something we got to catch, ready? This is hyper important. You probably want to write this down or get a tattoo of it. Here it is, ready? Zoe life must be chosen. It is not forced on us by the father. When the son came to the dad and said, Dad, I just wish you were dead. Can I just have the money cash out? I want to go do what I want to go do. The dad gave him the money. The dad, in essence, looked at his son and said, Okay, son, I will allow you to go do what you do. I'm not going to force you to love me. I'm not going to force you to worship me. I'm not going to force you to follow me. But I want you to know that you're going to run into a famine you're going to run out of resources. You're going to wind up with the pigs. And you can always come home. One of the biggest misconceptions about God is that when we decide to leave home and he doesn't hit us with a bolt of lightning, we either think he doesn't exist or he's approving of our decisions. But God would look and say, if you, if you want to live life apart from me, you can live life apart from me. If you, if you want to take my blessing and my protection for granted, you can take my blessing and my protection for granted. I'm not going to make you love me. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to make your life miserable. I'm not going to hit you with a bolt of lightning. You can go do what you want to do. But I want you to know that when you choose to follow me, when you choose to appreciate me, when you choose to come home, I want you to know that you can always do that. When I was 16, I wanted to buy my first car. So I'd say, that's some money. I said, Dad, I, need a, I want to go buy a car. First thing he said to me was, you can use my car whenever you want. <laughs> I don't want to use your car. That old station wagon. I don't want to use that thing. I want my own car, Dad. I'm cool. Look at me. I'm gorgeous. I want my own car. He said, okay, I'll help you buy a car. So we went out to the car lot. You know, looking at the car lot, my dad walked right up to a Toyota Camry. And he's looking at the Toyota Camry. He's talking to me all about how reliable the Toyota Camry is and how this thing will run forever and won't cost me that much and this and that. And what I hear is blah, 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 blah. Because my eyes were over here on an Escort GT. Anybody remember those? It was black and it was orange and it had mag wheels and it was amazing. And I was drawn to this car and realized that the only thing that could make that car look better was me in it. And so I wanted that car. And so I said, Dad, I want to buy that car. He said, son, that car is not reliable. That car is going to break down. That, the, the, see the tires on that car, son? See how they're wide? Yeah, I see how wide they are. Yeah, they cost four times as much as the tires on this car, son. You don't want to, no, dad, I got to have that car. Said, son, you should really, dad, I want that car. And I finally looked at him. I said, dad, just help me get that car. I just need your signature. And my dad said, okay, okay. 
So we walked over. I made, I made the deal with the dealer. I'm sure I took him for a ride, right? And I signed and my dad signed and I set up to make these car payments. And I, we walked out and then, here's your car. They took a picture with me with the car. Here's your car, Jeff. Have fun with your car. And I got in the car and it was at that point I realized it was a stick shift. And I didn't know how to drive it. So I said, I said, Dad, I don't know how to drive this car. He goes, well, it's the one you wanted. The Camry was an automatic. I said, well, I don't know what to do. He said, give it more gas than clutch. And he got in his car and he went home. So I peeled my tires out several times just trying to get onto the road. And I drove my car. And I didn't know how to drive the car, so I burned the clutch on the car and the car broke down. To put a clutch in the car. I burned the tires up in the car because I didn't know how to drive the car and the tires cost four times as much and the, it blew a tire, the car broke down. The car had engine problems, the car broke down. The car had a transmission problem, the car broke down. The car had a, a heater core problem, the car broke down. This car broke down and 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 broke down. Who did I call every single time my car broke down? Dad. And what did he do? He came and got me. Did he rub it in? No, nope, he just came and got me. Take me to the shop. Made me pay for it. I had the car for about three years, and finally the engine blew in the car. I was in college, and I called him and said, Dad, I got a problem with my car. The engine blew up. He said, okay. I said, I, I need a car, Dad. He said, well, what are you, are you looking at cars? I said, yeah, I found one. He said, what is it? I said, it's a Toyota Camry. <laughs> he said, I think you're making the right decision, son. See? God's not out to get you. He would have got you. But he won't stop you from going to the distant country. If you want to go, you can go because he's a wise father. If my dad had made me buy the Toyota Camry, all I would have done is spent most of my life trying to get rid of it and get what I wanted. But somehow the old man knew, do what you want to do. Hey, squander your money. The famine's going to come. And you're going to reach your own conclusion. And when you reach your own conclusion and you understand that I am wise and I love you and I wasn't trying to hold you back and kill your dreams, you'll come home and you'll do what you needed to do from the beginning. Look at this in the passage. Fascinating. Love this. He's in the pig pen, he's starving. Nobody would give him anything. See, the famine came, ran out of money. It's over. He did what he wanted to do, but now he's stuck on the side of the road. First part of verse 17, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Here it is. This is the prodigal son. Ready? When he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, dad car blew up. What are you going to get? 
what you told me to get. I came to my senses, Dad. Dad, thinking about doing this. Now I want to know. Now I'm eager. Because you didn't stop me, because you gave me what I asked for, I took myself through these hard times. I realized the love and the wisdom of my father. Dad, can I just come home? The journey back to God starts, guys, with coming to your senses. And one of the hardest things to admit in life is that the path I decided to take was not the right one. It takes great humility. And for many of us, I do this. I, I, you might be two, three cars deep for you admit. But if I want to find my way back to God, there's a point where I have to awaken to the reality that my way has not worked. I have to awaken to, 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 the, to the fact that I'm in this distant land and I'm, I'm stuck. And it doesn't mean that your bio life collapsed. It might mean that, but it doesn't have to mean that. But there's a point where I have to admit I need Zoe life and I'm choosing it. I want to be in the place that God has asked me to be and I, I am not. And the journey home, ready? The journey home starts when I stop. I have to stop walking to the distant country before I can turn and start finding my way back home. This weekend, my hope is that we can awaken to two realities. The first, the reality that, that I've gone to the distant country I've run out of resources. I squandered things in wild living. And one way or another, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I'm with the pigs. Like, I'm stuck. I have to awaken to the reality that my way did not work. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths, the Bible says. But here's the second reality. I have to also simultaneously, when I come to my senses, I'm awakening to the reality of my father's heart. He's not gonna rub my nose in it. He's not out to get me. Listen, if God wanted to get you, he would have gotten you. How many times have you walked away from home? He leaves the 99. He comes searching for you. He searches for his lost coin. 
And you'll see, we'll start talking next week. He's, he's, the father is waiting for his son. Heaven will rejoice. But to turn around, I have to stop. I have to awaken, I have to admit, I have to confess, I have to humble myself and come to my senses. God was right. I need a different path. I have no Zoe. And, and I long for it. The band's gonna come out and they're gonna they're gonna start us off by singing a prayer. I, I love I love this prayer because it it's all about what God will do. There's nothing that will stop the Father from coming to you. That's never the issue. The issue is whether I've come to my senses or not. And so as they create space and for us to think and pray, I encourage you to do that. Maybe, maybe you need to awaken to the reality and confess and admit it, it has not worked. I have sinned. I have rebelled, I have wandered off, and I, my life has crashed. Whether people can see it on the outside or not, it's crashed. I'm done. And then awaken to the reality that when I decide to turn, it is a loving father that is just as true as my sin. It's a loving father he was waiting for me to find my way back to him. Jesus, would you help us in these still moments? God, this stuff is tough, I think. We're so confident when we ask for your blessing to go do what we want. I am, at least. And it's hard, God. It's hard for me to humble myself. I'm very confident in what I think and my opinions and so God, in these still moments, would you help us to yield, to submit our opinions, our thoughts, our actions to you, and to trust that when we, when we admit that you forgive and love and are merciful, and even rejoice that we wanna come home. Press this deep into our hearts in these still moments, Jesus, in your name.